everybody, welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, episode 111. I'm here with my co-host, Jonathan Settled for a Burger and a Grape Snow Cone Gets, <laughs> Levi <laughs> Levi playing baseball with chert rocks and using sawmill slabs for bats, leech, and our special <laughs> guest, Tom, and don't you step on my cowboy boots, da 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 da, da Snyder. <laughs> And I'm Gabe Estel. I'm the black sheep of the family. All right. So, all right. But um, thanks for being here, everybody. Really glad uh, you're with us. Um, Again, we've got a special guest in the house tonight, Tom Snyder. Um, Grew up with Tom. Tom, how are you tonight? I'm great, man. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for hanging out with us for a while, man. Um, Tom is a uh, a screenwriter and filmmaker uh, who's going to be... over the next year, working on a project uh, back back in uh, our our old stomping grounds. So, so Tom, man, do you want to what you can share at least? Do you want to you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, I'm uh, co-producing it with I think a previous guest on this podcast, Adam Glassy. Oh yeah, he's been yeah. friend of times. the podcast. Yes, yeah, and we've been looking for a project for. 15 years to collaborate on another old friend of ours, Cameron Gates. Uh, bring him aboard. And uh, yeah, I wrote the script, uh, Panther Creek, and um, we wanted to do it last year. And of course, 2020 was a weird year for trying to make things. So <laughs> it got pushed to hopefully this fall, uh, we can make it happen. I bought this house here in uh, Petersburg, Illinois, where I'm renovating it through the winter. And we're going to use it as a production headquarters um, to do the movie uh, come October 2021. Nice, man. Well, we're excited about that. And it sounds like uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, I've heard a, I've heard a few little tidbits about the story. Uh, and um, definitely, uh, I think everybody will be in for uh, for a nice ride, uh, a dark ride, but a nice <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're excited about that, man. And we'll um, we look forward to that coming down the pipeline um, tonight, though. Um, You know, this is a a genre that we've spent a little bit of time on, um, on rock and roll Shinsu Chu. And if you um, are curious to hear about our take on 70s country music, uh, you could kind of actually kind of pair the two. It'd be nice kind of companion pieces tonight. And that one Uh, we did the 70s episode. I don't know what, guys, maybe two, two years ago or so, maybe something like that. that ish so that was a that was a that was our our take on uh our our dive on 70s country music and tonight um we're actually gonna um put a put the country cassette in the tape deck here and we've got uh country in the 1980s and early 1990s with kind of that cutoff point for when things went south um that's always been kind of debatable and we'll certainly talk about that tonight but um, let's start it off here. In 1980, country music was as hot as a branding iron. As John Travolta glided off the discotheque and onto the floor at Gillies, uh, the turn of the decade would welcome new trends, slicker production, and early forays into music video. The honky tonk heroes of the previous decade either found themselves cementing their iconic status, hello Dolly, or struggling to adjust to the shifting landscape, still hung over from outlaw ways. And showing their hands and not their face on TV. Uh, it was also a time for new crooners, dynamic duos, and mega groups to claim their big slices of the country music pie, propelling their careers well into the next decade and beyond. By the time the 90s hit, you had bona fide stars climbing their way up not only the country charts, but dare I say, the Billboard Top 200. Uh, 
So crack open a Lone, Lone Star, grab a slaw burger fries and a bottle of skeet, because tonight we're going whole hog into country music from 1980 to 1994. As Levi says, let's get on this mechanical bowl. All right, guys. Okay, so turn of the decade starts, right? 1980. And um, I, if, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to go into you know details about you know the plot and you know, all the nuances of the movie and things like that, but... I think it's worth mentioning that um, the rise of of country music as um, oh I don't know sort of a, a cultural force, if you will, it really does kind of dovetail with urban cowboy. I mean, country music had, had certainly it, it had been popular during previous decades, and you had you know you had country, you had Hank Williams, and you had you know Johnny Cash, and you had you know the outlaw movement in the in the seventies. But really is kind of a, almost kind of a pop force, if you will, for lack of a better term. Um, I, I think a lot of that um, coincides with, with this movie coming out, really. Um, that movie um, made it cool to be country, so to speak. You know, um, you look at the movie and it's, it's fashionable. You got, a, you, got you know, John Travolta kind of sort of in the waning days of um, the, the first act of his career. Um, and uh, I, I think, I think, I think it just, it bears mentioning that like, that's, you know, that's kind of where this episode starts tonight, but I, I think it's, it's also, it marks the beginning of a, of a, of a shift in, in country music being uh, a really dominant cultural force. Yeah, absolutely. The all the record companies realized all the money they could make off of it at that point. Yeah, like one, you know, once they convinced everybody to get boots and jeans and a cowboy hat, it, it was on. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, it, that movie definitely sparked the the start of the decade in the music business as far as country. Absolutely. I yeah, I, you, you'd see like you know country bars popping up in. In, in cities in in the Northeast and the Midwest that you know you never would have thought of you know that happening you know just a few years earlier and it really a lot of it has to do with uh, with Urban Cowboy and then also with Urban Cowboy um, did you guys know uh, the Irving Azoff produced it okay. um, the guy you know famous um, record producer no? record Eagles producer manager, yeah, think, Eagles right? manager I think you know he's uh, I think he does Van Halen and Guns N' Roses now too I think so just a veteran kind of biz whiz um irving azoff he, he 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 i think he knows a hit when he sees it so uh he, he saw it here in country music and then robert evans uh yeah. the hollywood producer extraordinaire from the 70s you know godfather love story uh, the kid stays um, in the picture Kid stays in the picture yeah that's he's he was behind it as well he was in on on urban cowboy too and um it's kind of the last of that i guess i'll call it kind of the Travolta trifecta, you know, Saturday Night Fever, Grease, Urban Cowboy, you know, that's, um, those were his big guns, you know, um, and kind of being the male star of, of Hollywood there for about a three year, three, four year period, um, you know, Urban Cowboy is kind of sort of the last throws of that. Um, but you know, it, it, the decade that the turn of the decade, is also kind of a, a, some slicker sounds start to come in. You know, you have you, George Strait, his first record, I think, comes out right around that time, maybe 1981 or so. And Levi, you probably heard this term. Tom, you maybe heard it as well. There's kind of the 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 neo-traditionalist. I don't know if you guys have 
Yeah. Um, what what do you guys make of that? And um, it, it, it it sort of it it, it kind of harkens back a little bit to to country music from like the '60s, you know, a little bit. Yeah, um, it, it's not it's not like a it's not like a rock influence kind of outlaw sound like you saw a few years before. Well, I, I think it can be summed up with uh, George Strait's uh, Amarillo by Morning. I mean, it's a yeah. beautiful song that's about old tropes. Yeah. In, in the genre of the music. Um, I mean, that song to this day is, is gorgeous to listen to. Um, and it's just so damn smooth. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's pop music, but it's also traditional. Yes. Yeah. Straddling that line between the two. He's probably the penultimate dude of, uh, of the, the neo-traditionalist. Well, um, but let's uh, look where he goes. I mean, he ends up doing a movie where he stars in it. I mean, right. Later in the 90s, yeah. So that's yeah, your country? Is that what that was? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a move that you would probably more associate with a Garth Brooks than a George Strait. Right. Uh, uh, so it's interesting. You know, this neo-traditionalist ends up starring in a movie basically about country music and about, you know, himself. Is that movie any good? I gotta be—I've never seen it. It's not Pure horrible. Country. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, he's—he's he's, the soundtrack's killer. The soundtrack's great. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's mostly—it's his tunes, right? I'd, I'd assume mm-hmm. mostly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, I've never seen it, um, but uh, I, I'm kind of curious now, and and curious to see what he's like as an actor as well. I don't know. See how he pulls that off. I, I'm, yeah, guessing, I mean, I'm guessing he's, he's not Lawrence Olivier, but... Um, no, I mean, you do get John Doe in it, though, which is a cool, cool nice. thing. Nice, yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Like, the, like John Doe from, like, Roadhouse and X. X like that yeah. John Doe? Yeah. 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 Sweet. He, he plays, Sweet. I think, the drummer. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, yeah. Um, well, I like that. Um, but, yeah, that, that neo-traditionalist sound... Um, you had some guys coming up around this time, like a, a, one of my favorites that, uh, yeah, he gets he gets kind of put in that camp. Uh, I'm a big John Anderson fan. Um, he's got probably of all the folks that we're going to talk about tonight that uh, that emerged during this period, you know, this kind of 15 year period or so that we're talking about. He's my favorite vocalist. Um, his his voice is. um yeah, it's just really it, it's um, it, it's got a it's just this great drawl to it. Um, he he, uh, I don't know if you guys have um, heard um, his cover of "Don't Think Twice." It's all right. It's amazing. Oh God, it's it's. I think it's one of the best covers I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to hear him sing that and to hear him sing a Bob Dylan song, it just it works so well. And his first, um, well, all of his albums throughout this decade are, are great. And then he, he kind of had sort of a comeback, kind of in the early '90s with um, Seminole Wind and Money in the Bank and um, all that. But yeah, I was bumping yeah. All, all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That album was called "I Just Came Home to Count the Memories," which is a classic. You yes, know, that's I mean, it. Yeah. As far as uh, country goes. I actually stumbled upon a test pressing of that record about three years ago. So, you know, straight from the, the record company, it's just got a plain white label and it's got handwritten on it, John Anderson. And um, on the jacket of the record, 
there's a quote and it's by a guy named Bob Merlis, who I believe was the producer or the manager or something at the time. And he obviously had sent this to someone at like a radio station. And it says to David, our hard country hope for this year in the future, John Anderson. Mm. And so, yeah, they, they had a lot of, uh, you know what I mean? They had a lot of money and faith on the line that he was going to become a star, which he, he did in, in his own right there for a while. Yeah. He's one of those guys that kind of had a swan and you know what I mean? His yeah. Crew, yeah. It, it had peaks and valleys. So what would you, this? would you catch a falling star? That's on that album. That's yeah. probably my favorite John Anderson song. That song is so great. It is. I mean, what was the first hit for him? Swinging? Probably yeah. swinging. Yeah. Like first big hit. Yeah. 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 Uh, I got a bit of a personal story. Um, I first heard John Anderson, I think it was in 1988, 87, around there. Uh, my uh, best friend at the time was uh, Jonathan Love, who we grew up with. And uh, his mom, Debbie, uh, Debbie Love, uh, it was her favorite singer. She uh-huh. had all of his stuff. She played him constantly. And uh, she passed away uh, just before Valentine's Day. Uh-huh. And... Um, I've been playing John Anderson nonstop since. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to raise a glass to, uh, to Debbie. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Introducing yeah, me to, uh, yeah. to John Anderson, uh, who I love to this day. I mean, it's just, like you say, it's one of the most unique voices, I think, in any genre. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ask her on a straight tequila night. All right. <laughs> yeah. Now, man, swinging is, uh, like, if, if I've, and we'll, we'll get to kind of sort of some list um about this period a little bit later in the episode but um yes yeah, swinging is uh, is definitely such a such a good single um any 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 song that's got brother was on the sofa eating chocolate pie <laughs> is a winner for me <laughs> daddy was in the backyard rolling up at the garden house <laughs> right um yeah. So good, dude. And like, I don't remember it, um, but you know, I'll probably draw some references to my parents tonight. And I think you know, Levi, you can say that as well with with country music, definitely. Um, He's one of those voices you got to have some guts to karaoke. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll you'll need some tequila. Are you going to stretch syllables the way that John did? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, my 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 parents told me like, and I I don't remember this, but. Um, I guess I guess swinging was like one of the first songs as a kid I really responded to. They said, you know, um, I guess like they took me down to, well, shit. I guess it's the Lucky Eight now in Petersburg, but I, I guess it would have been the West Side then. I think, um, and like you know, I would eat like popcorn shrimp and like shrimp and like bop to swinging. You know, <laughs> they said. Um, so I, I have no recollection of that, but um, it's a killer song. But they. Seems to be some of like you know one of the first tunes I really responded to as a toddler. So, uh, so yeah. So hey, everybody was swinging. <laughs> well, yeah, stuff. and I mean it's got slick production on it as well. The backup oh, yeah. singers and stuff. It's mm-hmm. swinging. Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, it, and I mean, it, it was just kind of neat to see country go that way i think for a while mm-hmm. yeah because i mean it you know coming from some of the stuff from the 60s and the 70s the production i mean was a little bit lacking on a, some of that stuff yeah and this might be a weird comparison but it's got like this weird idiosyncratic vibe to it like rory orbison like mm-hmm. of yeah. like making the vocals just like just be weird mm-hmm 
Yeah, yeah. Like you listen to like Millsap, you know, his vocals are kind of weird sometimes. Um, you know, yeah, I like and the production value too of the vocals, right? I mean, it's um, yeah, it, it's it, it's it's that kind it's of doo thing. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, they were they were certainly leaning on influences from you know the fifties and sixties, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you know, of, of the guys in like the neo traditionals, you know, we got we got. Um, George Strait, you know, John Anderson. And then, you know, sticking on that theme, um, as we get into kind of the later parts of the decade, um, you got kind of the the Clint Black and the Alan Jacksons emerge. And then um, we, we might as well, um, you know, the, the 15, 20,000 pound elephant in the room that is Garth Brooks. Um, we'll go ahead and, and, and roll him out now, I think, as well, just to... You know, talking about the the big male kind of stars well, of, uh, his of first the era, yeah. is very traditional. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that is that the, is from like what, like eighty eight or something like 89, that? Eighty nine, I think. Eighty nine. Came out in eighty nine. Yeah. He's got a turtleneck on 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 it, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. Does he kind of have and a turtleneck I mean, on? Yeah. He's got songs like "Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old," "The mm-hmm. Dance," um, songs that are very traditional. It's yeah. not until that sophomore album that he's like, you know what, I'm going to let my fucking inner kiss fly you know yeah right 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 yeah and 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 you know he's um he, he's a divisive figure um you know because i i you know i people who are are really into kind of you know the the outlaw era or people who are really kind of more gravitate towards kind of some of the americana um wing of country of the country house if you will um you know, there's all that like, oh, he ruined country music and all of this. Um, I don't buy it, um, especially now after kind of sort of rediscovering him um, after, you know, kind of putting him putting him down for a few years. So, Tom, I'll, I'll just I mean, you 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 you've got Levi as well. But, you, you know, you've got you've got history with with his music. Um, I'll say this like, you know, how does it hold up to you? And uh, also, um you know, uh, wh- how, how do you respond to these 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 allegations that um, you know he he sort of um, you know tainted the genre, so to speak? Well, I think Garth was one of the first honest artists in country to really rip his fucking chest open and go, "Here are my influences." I mean, yeah, I saw him probably ten or eleven times in concert uh, from ninety three through ninety five. Mm-hmm. And- he would end every show with a one, at least a one-hour encore. Where he would come out with just his acoustic guitar, and he would play by himself covers of Kiss, uh, Bob Seger, Cat Stevens, all mm-hmm. these Jim Croce, like these songs that he's like he didn't play any of his songs during the encore. He was like, "Look, these are the songs that led to me," mm-hmm. and extravagant decadent fucking show you just saw mm-hmm. um and but strip it down and i think a couple of years ago he did a, a vegas tour like uh he did like a residency thing a residency i think there. Vegas, yeah. he went back to what he was doing in those encores early mm-hmm. on that kind of threw people for a loop of like oh he's coming out for an encore he's going to do the you know more pyrotechnics and more crazy stuff no he would just have one spotlight with his guitar and you know that's the essence of Garth. He is a traditionalist. He loves all the old stuff. 
I think he's as much of an outlaw as anybody. He's an outlaw in terms of uh, just his radical empathy. Like mm-hmm. he songs of, from a feminist point of view. He mm-hmm. writes songs from uh, different races. He's he was pushing the genre in a very interesting way from a, and he got some resistance from people. Yeah, and yeah. His music videos were bold as hell. I mean, they were crazy. for the time. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, you know, I never had the opportunity to see him live, but my parents knew someone that worked at the Capitol pressing plant in Jacksonville. Mm. And so this was the cassette era. And so I would get his cassettes like the week they came out. I would get, um, I don't know if you remember, but promo cassettes used to have a little hole drilled into the side of the Mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. So I would get these little drilled out Garth Brooks tapes like the week they came out and I would just listen to him for hours and hours nonstop. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was um, definitely the artist who pushed country the most and no one's really done it since. If you think about it, I mean, you know, whether it's videos like standing outside the fire or, mm-hmm. you know, just all the, the all the social strokes. issues. Remember, yeah. remember the red strokes, the music video for the red oh, strokes yeah. was weird yeah. as hell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, uh, you know, like you said he was really one of the only country artists that was showing people what their influences were you know what i mean yeah like george Strait really wasn't doing that or you know alabama kind of really wasn't doing that or whether alan jackson or i mean any of those people and it's certainly the artists from like the 60s and the 70s it's not like george jones ever went out and played a bunch of covers and was like these are the people that influenced me you know yeah yeah. And so that was, you know, kind of groundbreaking as far as that. And it was um I, I don't think he ever ruined country music by any means. I think he helped country music a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. It, it's just I think those people are kind of just too too nearsighted he, or something with that. Scapegoat. He's an easy scapegoat because of the Chris Gaines thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which was in more has come out about his strategy creatively for that. He actually, for a while, his idea for that was to do a star is born. And the Chris mm. character was essentially going to be what uh, Bradley, uh, what's his name did uh, in Cooper, we saw yeah. a couple years ago. Yeah. Oh, Brad yeah. Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. Bradley Cooper. Yeah. He was trying to create a fictional character and like establish them with this, whole soundtrack of their life and Mm -hmm. he's going to do a really dark like thriller horror almost version of it which just goes to his kiss nature of like to be completely crazy and and push things and he pushed it too far and he garth is just a i've met the guy a couple times he is like a humble guy he will just be like yeah i messed up that that sucked that was stupid yeah and he went into exile gladly for a while and you know they can't all be they can't all be bangers, man. You know, I mean, it's, you know, you know, uh, you know, let Miss Miss Yearwood, you know, the queen, as he refers to her, you know, have the spotlight for 10 years and and then came back, you know. Right. Well, hey, if he'd have never done it, we wouldn't have got the amazing quote that I'm um, Garth in the streets and Gaines in the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how Levi lives his life. OK, 24 <laughs> seven. man. Yeah. <laughs> TCB. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, Tom, 
I, I, Tom brought up a word that I want to I want to um, bat around here for a second. He said the resistance to Garth, right? Um, I think that's an important word in country music history because um, you know if you look at if you look at rock music, I think all of us applaud when artists um, that 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 we, we 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 admire take chances, and you know sometimes that's part of the reason we admire them. And we, we like seeing the whole arc of, of of popular music, you know, take shape and and you know, see all these influences emerge and and, and see things change, you know. Um, in country music, that's always such that's been such a a, a a slippery slope, you know, for lack for cliche, but um, you know, because country music, you've you've always had this traditionalist wing that's really fighting to keep it traditional, and then you have you know you know, these young upstarts that want to change it. And that doesn't matter if it's like Waylon in the seventies or I hate to say it, some of the popular country of today, there'll always be that resistance and that struggle, you know, whereas you don't see that as much in other genres of music, in other genres of music, it's praised to change. Right. I you mean, know what Garth, I mean? Yeah. Garth, Garth didn't ruin country music any more than kiss ruined rock and roll. Like, he was trying something and he was being honest about his influences and he was pushing things and, mm-hmm. and taking this huge filter he had and, and integrating it into his thing. He wasn't mimicking really anybody. He was being, he created his own thing by taking all these disparate elements and being honest about it. Yeah. Well, and little did I know at the time, but my first introduction to Warren Haynes was from Garth Brooks, two of a kind working on a full house. Warren Haynes co-wrote that song. Oh, does he no play kidding. on the album too? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he plays on it, but Warren Haynes is the co-writer on that. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's on his first album. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it's it, it, it's interesting, you know this this kind of inner inner turmoil that's always plagued country music. You and know, I just radical honesty too of Garth. He's been very open that his first wife was the reason he was capable of going to Nashville. And busting his ass for a year and a half, playing in the cafes, playing every night. She was the breadwinner. She was the one holding it down to where he was able to go do that. A lot of people, they want to create their own mythology of like, yeah, I went and struggled and did this or that. And I was an outlaw. Yeah, Mark rejected right. the whole outlaw thing. He was just like, look, I'm going to go treat this as a business trip. And my wife was the, the lady holding it down. He's been very honest about that. Yeah. And then very honest about leaving her ass for Trisha Yearwood. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's an outlaw without being an outlaw, I guess. I, I don't know. It's it's with his radical of, just like honesty. Like he's yeah, just a, yeah. an honest dude. Yeah. It's kind of whole like is 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 the most punk rock thing to do put is put on a suit and tie. You know what I'm thinking of that whole like what what does punk mean? You know, it's got me thinking. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it took a lot of balls in the mid nineties in country music to like stand up for like for homosexuality because yeah. his well, sister yeah. was his, a lesbian his sister's and, gay his sister's yeah. gay that's, yeah. that's, i mean he's he's never shied away from from stuff like that like we shall be free a lot of these songs that and then whenever stuff like the Oklahoma City bombing happens like he doesn't make some bullshit Toby Keith put a boot in her ass song right. he makes a song about like let's love each other and like figure this out as human yeah. beings good to each other. you mentioned empathy and he's he's always he's always showcased a lot of that i think mm, yeah. 
Um, even even when I didn't like his music, you know, like, I mean, if you would ask me what I thought of Garth Brooks 20 years ago, I'd be like, uh, fuck that. Um, um, I always admired him as a person. I, I, I do. I, I have always noticed that even, you know, um, back in the back in the 90s and early aughts when I didn't really care for his music all that much. I always admired him as uh, as a person for, you know, a lot of the. The reasons that you guys just uh, just mentioned. So well, I meant to bring, uh, and maybe we can somehow put this uh, when this is posted. Um, I meant to bring my framed photo of me and Garth. When oh, I was, okay. Well, we can we can get it. When up I there. met him, I went to a fanfare uh, down in Nashville. Oh, yeah. Big event for like you know, and he wasn't supposed to be there that year. Like I got to meet Clint Black and like Alan Jackson, a lot of like the big stars at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, this this would have been ninety. So this is like a single event that all of this is yeah. happening at. Yeah. Um, he wasn't supposed to be there, but he did an unannounced surprise visit, and it was at this uh, like state fairgrounds in Nashville. And uh, we were leaving. I'd got my autographs from Clint Black and the people I wanted to see, and uh, we're walking as a shortcut through the horse stables. And who is walking through the horse stables right towards me is Garth Brooks. Mm-hmm. And I like lose my shit. Like I just in case <laughs> I had brought like one of his albums to like sign, and uh, me and my mom talked to him for like twenty minutes. And people like it, it, like people found out that he was there, and the horse stables got surrounded, just mobbed like the Beatles. And like we got the hell out of there, and we're like, wow, that was crazy. Like the timing of that was amazing. We go back to our hotel room in Nashville. The next morning, I turn on the TV. It's live from the local news station. Garth Brooks is still there at the horse stable <laughs> signing autographs. Fourteen, like twelve hours later, oh, yeah. like ten in the he morning. Was known for he that. stayed yeah. until every person got an autograph Damn. and got to talk to him for five to ten minutes. Damn, that's the type yeah. of that you're dealing yeah, with. He was known for that. There's a few different instances at like fanfares and the different things where, yeah, he he totally would give himself to the fans and. Really, I mean, no one in country music was doing that at the time. I mean, people would sign some autographs, but mm-hmm. nobody was going that far for the fans by any means. Levi, didn't you go to fan? Didn't, your parents went, right? Well, or my parents would go sometimes, my dad, and but I I never went there. No, I mean, most of my country experiences were just here in central Illinois going to concerts, whether it was the county fair, the state fair, or the convention center, which at that time, I mean, those venues used to get some pretty decent country music acts. Yeah. D- yeah. Dwight Yoakam, we'll go back in time a little bit. Dwight Yoakam, uh, who's great debut record came out in 86 along with Lyle Lovett's debut which are those are two great albums if you've never heard them everybody out there but um Dwight Yoakam played Taylorville a couple times there used to be a little a little club in Taylorville called Nashville North North. yeah and uh yeah it was you know so the 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 ability to see bigger acts was a lot easier back then than it is now I think my parents saw the Kentucky Headhunters there I think at Nashville been, North. Yeah. yeah, which yeah. we'll get into that album. That's a great record. Doom from Walker. Yeah, man. Yeah, pick oh, it yeah, on Nashville. Man. Let's all go. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's a good one. Um, but yeah, so you know, talking about the neo-traditionalists, talking about Garth, you know, I'm kinda kinda trying to bring in all these strands, you know, that are happening during uh during this period. And um, you know, we were we were texting kind of in preparation for um for this episode and we, we got to, we, we started talking, I think 
about Barbara Mandrell and the Mandrell sisters and the TV show that they had, you know, really, you know, she was, she was a huge star at, um, at the, at the, you know, the start of the decade, you know, in the early eighties, you know, got like entertainer of the year a couple times. And, and, um, I had mentioned, you know, in the text that she didn't seem to have the staying power that, you know, somebody like Dolly Parton, who is just kind of an institution unto herself. And then like Reba McIntyre as well, who, you know, got a, got her own TV show and, you know, just sort of, I don't know, everybody knows Reba, you know? Um, well, Dolly had the movie thing. Yeah. She had that going for her as well. And, um, you know, like I said, Mandrell was on TV. And then also I read, um, I guess, I guess she got like at the height, uh, near the height of her popularity, she got in a really bad car accident as well. Yeah. And like had to take, Basically, you know, like in 1984 or something like that, when she's going strong, like a couple of years off. And I, I bring this up because, you know, some folks like that were bigger during the previous era didn't really adjust to this this decade all that well. Um, whether it's something like a car accident happens or I think of Whalen as well, you know, who's you know one of my favorite country artists of all time. And I know Levi, Jonathan, yours as well. Um, gosh, you know, he, he's from what I read, you know, these, you know, these were rough years for him, um, in terms of finding sobriety, uh, overcoming addiction, you know, um, these were, you know, the, the show in my hands, not my face on TV type stuff. And, um, so, so for, for, for this period, you know, you, you had a new class of folks coming in some of the people that we just mentioned. And I think for a lot of some of the older, the older stars, older, I'll put in quotes. Um, it was, it was a tougher period to transition. Like I, like, you know, even though Whalen had the highwaymen and everything, I wouldn't say like, you know, he really knew, he really knew how to adjust to the decade, so to speak. You're just you coasting know? on nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, yeah, that's that's too bad. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, it sounds like him just kind of struggling with sobriety. Um, and and that's that's certainly going to. Yeah, I mean, he came from the I mean, people don't really realize, but he came from the 60s. He started yeah, in the 60s. Sure, sure. And so all those country guys were on pills, 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 pills. Yeah. And it was all about pills to get you up, pills to get you down, pills to get you sideways. And so. I think, you know, and then later in the 70s, it became all about Coke with them, with a lot of the outlaw country guys. Mm -hmm. So I think when the 80s hit, it was a really rough adjustment period because also then the record companies were shifting. Yeah. And yeah. so they wanted that slicker sound. They didn't mm -hmm. want kind of a rougher produced outlaw sound yeah. as much as they had three, four years before that. And a slicker and image. So Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so right. it was like, you know, he had to kind of, you know, try to reboot his career, which he had a couple of hits in the later yeah. 80s. Yeah. One of them was called America, which I remember the video for it on Nashville <laughs> Network back in the day. It's a good yeah. video. Yeah. Guys like Waylon never got that third act like Johnny Cash did. Yeah. Good because point. Because Waylon had one of the great molasses voices of all time. Oh, yeah. And if, if he had hooked up with the right producer, Rick Rubin, yeah, and, you know, <laughs> right, right. If he had got a shot like that in his sixties mm -hmm. and seventies, my God, the right, yeah, 
Get it done. He died in like oh two, like maybe a, a year or two before Cash. I mean, their deaths are, are very close to one another. I think yeah, I I, that creative third act. Yeah, yeah, he didn't have it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, he got diabetes, and then they, I think they had to start cutting on him. Like he lost a foot, and you know, it, it, his health declined pretty rapidly once it started. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, the record companies, you know, shifting resources to uh, to to younger stars, and I think uh, you know a lot of folks. A lot of folks by the end of the decade were like, hello, Branson, you know, um, right. cheaper, cheaper real estate than Nashville as well. Um, yeah, let's head down there. Um, but, you know, before like kind of the superstar before um, before Garth of this period tonight. Um, and it's it's tough to talk about him because he's turned into such a jack off, quite frankly. But um <laughs> I, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I mean, I still, I still like the tunes. Um, I mean, we, 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 we can't overlook Bo Cephas guys. Um, you know, as, as, as kind of the guy that, you know, he started, you know, obviously, you know, his lineage propelled him, but he, or got him, got his foot in the door, but you know, he was, he was part of the outlaw movement, but he actually did transition well to the 80s era oh yeah I mean, the, 80, the 80s were his decade basically. yeah right right he, he you know he the, planted uh, the seeds there a little bit in the 70s but Paul, can, can i my, start uh, with a question where did the yeah. name bocephus come from <laughs> uh i'm not sure we'll have let me see if i can google it i just learned that he was referred to as bocephus like a couple years ago and and i've just been trying to wrap my head around it ever since mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so so you know, Levi, I mean, you know, you you grew up listening to Bo Cephas, you know. Um, it's uh, he was kind of the um, gosh, he, I guess he, the, he was the fun guy, you know. He was the party right? dude. He was the know? party the, for sure. Uh, in a quick search, it says that his dad, Hank Senior, called him Bo Cephas as a child. Okay, so okay. I, and so I he would know. just throw it out there every now and again when he was out uh, giving interviews. And so, um. Yeah, in my household, you know, Waylon was big, but Bocephus was kind of like the pinnacle. And so, um, you guys, my, you guys had some beautiful Bocephus um, glassware. I remember as well. But I, I, I multiple times. We went to Paris, Tennessee, which was Hank Williams Jr. Bocephus World Headquarters, and so <laughs> it was like this huge museum of all of his classic cars. He had like a ton of like fifties and sixties cars. And then it had this huge gift shop where literally like we had a Hank Jr. mug. We had like a Hank Williams ashtray. We had we had all kinds of different Hank Williams Jr. stuff. But um, growing up, his albums, when my parents would get together and it was like, you know, our friends are coming over tonight. You and your sister got to go to the back bedroom and <laughs> turn on the black and white TV with the knobs and watch Got-ed it all night. Yeah, it was like those were the records that came out, you know, yeah. and it's, you know, Whiskey Bent and Hellbound and yeah. just all of it. And he, uh, you know, like you said, though, we, we he's kind of one of those artists, same thing kind of along the lines for me with Charlie Daniels, where yeah. I totally respect the music. Oh, yeah. But it's really hard to respect and understand where they ended up like. 
Yeah. Philosophically, I guess. It's hard. It's hard to divorce them. You know, it's hard to separate that now. Yeah. Yeah. But note that they haven't been canceled by us. Right. Yeah. 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 No. You'll still spin it. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, hey, man, I I won't argue that Double Live Gonzo. You know, I mean, is is fantastic live record. You know, Um, and same thing. I I like all of Bo Cephas's '80s stuff as well. It was it was all pretty fun. Um, And then you know he he landed the Monday Night Football thing as well. Yep. Bo Cephas was the first concert I ever went to at the state Illinois State Fair. Nice. And I was got, probably there too. He got so drunk by the end, <laughs> he ripped his shirt off and was drinking Jack Daniels straight from the bottle. Oh yeah, he would play fiddle a lot. Shirtless. Yeah, he stuck the fiddle in his gut and just sawed away at it. <laughs> well, and he was one of the first people I ever saw that could play pretty much all the instruments on mm-hmm. stage. There would yeah. be like a song throughout the night where he'd go around and play piano, he'd play guitar, he'd play bass, he'd play drums, whatever. Yeah, insanely yeah. talented. Yeah, just music in his bones, in his DNA. Yeah, for sure. 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 I mean, look look at his boy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Supposedly, he got guitar lessons from Billy Gibbons. Hank Jr. did back in the day. Seems plausible. You know. Yeah. I think when I hear the word swagger, like Hank Williams Jr., like oh, oh, yeah. one of the first images that comes yeah. to mind. He's, he's, defi- he's definitely put the boots on the coffee table, dude. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we got Bo Cephas as um, probably prior to the arrival of Garth, kind of the dominant male star of, well, of there. You I, know, I mean, is it him or is it? I think there was a bridge between uh, Hank Jr. and Garth. And I think it was in terms of like, popularity and like you know cma awards i think it was um people like george Strait. Strait, yeah um oh who's the other one that's escaping me at the time um not dwight because dwight never dwight yokum never really got like the support of Nashville. He was kind right. of out west doing his own kind of punk rock. Yeah, thing. he plus he had he, the Bakersfield influence was oh, so pronounced on him. You know, it was Randy Travis and yeah, yeah. oh yeah, neo traditionalists. Yeah, yeah, Travis and Reba were kind of the bridge. Yeah, embarrassed that I over overlooked Travis there for a minute. Uh, hell of a mugshot if you ever looked that up from a few years yeah. ago of him. Um, <laughs> and one of the great crooner voices. I mean, just. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyone can, you know, you put on a Randy Travis song and you can kind of sing along with it and be like, I'm kind of hitting these notes because he's just kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great, 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 great. Ever. Hey, man. Well, well you know, you, you brought up Yoakum and, um, you know, those. He's one of the guys I've always liked. You know, if you would ask me 20 years ago, I'd be like, yeah, Dwight Yoakum's cool. You know, um, so even we'll I like Dwight some- Yoakum. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about some of the people that kind of sort of um, thrived on the outskirts, if you will. So then it sounds a little bit, um, uh, but yeah, like I, I think of Steve Earle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he doesn't often get. I mean, I, I've always liked the dude, um, but you know, his first records are are real. Those were, I mean, those were those were country records. I mean, they were pushed in Nashville. 
and he was he was billed to be a star. He had been a songwriter. He'd been a, a, a songwriter yeah. in, in in Nashville for years before that. He didn't really get a break until he was almost a big break until he was like, I think, like 30, you know, in I his think early it was 86, 86, 86 is is when Guitar Town like, came out. It, yeah. Guitar Town, Guitars Cadillacs, and then the Lyle Lovett self-titled. There you go. And so it was like three young guys that were they were kind of trying to pin the hopes of the future of country music on. And none of them really, like you said, mo- most of their careers, they ended up operating on the outside of it all. Yeah, they didn't fit the mold that Nashville wanted for them by any means, um, you know, both kind of personally and professionally. Um so, yeah, I mean, and, and, and that stuff, you know, if, if musically, that's the stuff that holds up the most, you know, of what we're going to of what we're going to talk about tonight. You know, like those are the those are the albums I liked before I started getting back into, you know, some of the other people we mentioned, like Garth. Well, and, and, and there's a reason why people like Beck wanted to, like, produce Dwight Yoakam's record a couple of years ago, like mm-hmm. his, you know, like the guy is just I, and I think he dabbled in like a lot of different genres before he found his, his foothold in the country. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the guy is just, he's got this bizarro voice that's somewhere between Elvis and like, um, Oh, who was the guy that he, he collaborated with on Baker uh, streets of Bakersfield? Buck Owens. Buck, Buck Owens. Owens yeah. Is. Somewhere between Elvis and Buck Owens, like, which is a weird, like mm-hmm. middle ground to, to hit. But like Johnny Cash said that Dwight Yoakam, had the greatest voice he'd ever heard in country music ever. Yeah. He yeah. said that he said he had the, the purest country voice he'd ever heard. Yeah. Uh, it, Growing yeah. up, but also with punk rock, like cinematic eye for weirdness, which mm-hmm. we then saw in his acting career, you know, like right. the guy's just a weird anomaly. Kind of rockabilly feel too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Growing up, his videos were always like, little works of art compared Mm -hmm. to other country artists at the time, you know, whether, you know, they would tell little weird movie stories in in four or five minutes, or, you know, he would use Harry Dean Stanton sometimes in the video. Like it just lets you know, he was like, I don't know. He was cooler than the most, you know what I mean? Is what off as, which is true. Yeah. Well, yeah. He had actors like Vince Vaughn wanting to just show up and like do weird things. There's like obviously shot that night on one take and like cut together by some idiot assistant or maybe Dwight himself that like has no idea like how to cut things together. But Mm -hmm. like the energy of it is there. Like these people are there to do this intro or this little interlude between these this song and it's awesome. Like no one else was doing weird stuff like that. He was gloriously weird wildly weird and he embraced it and no one everyone else was trying to be something else trying to mimic something and dwight was just embracing his weird west coast thing yeah weird's not an adjective i would apply to most artists that we're going to talk about tonight you know um but yeah he's he definitely is one um he did some weird shit especially with his music videos (laughs) yeah well yeah i can remember as a kid Dwight Yoakam had a special on all of all channels, the Disney channel. And it was like, kind of like this live concert, but interspersed with the live concert were these like random shots of like Dennis Hopper, like talking and talking about (laughs) Dwight Yoakam. And like, 
it was just so out there as a kid to see it, especially on the Disney Channel of all places. But it was like, that was totally, that's Dwight Yoakam. You know what Do I mean? you know that if is the middle word in life? <laughs> right? Yeah, it was all stuff like that. It was just like, this is Eight so year old never were like, what the fuck? <laughs> Levi, Levi accidentally stumbled across the, uh, the, the, the blue velvet premiere on, uh, on Disney Channel, you know? It's the, the red carpet for blue velvet with uh, all those weirdos. Like, Candy-colored clown. <laughs> well, I guess I guess what drew Hopper to Yoakum was the song "I'm a Thousand Miles from Nowhere." Like Dennis Hopper said, it was his most favorite song of all time at one point. That's on. And, that's on this time, right? I think. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah, that would have been, 90s, that been yeah. the era that this thing was on the Disney Channel. You, it could be on YouTube. I haven't looked, but a couple years after that, Dwight did something at the time was for his fans only, like on his website. But it's since been widely circulated, uh, where it's him doing acoustic versions of all of his songs. I've heard uh, that Excellent. from yeah. this time before. It's so good. I prefer yeah. some of those versions to to the mm-hmm. fully produced ones. Yeah. Well, let's um let, let's 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 talk about some of the the you know the female artists that emerged during that period as well. Um you know, we we talked about, you know, Dolly just kind of, you know, she, she was she was a musician during the previous decade and then still a musician but you know, she had the Hollywood thing going and she you know, she she just really became the icon, I think, during this decade with 9 to 5 and you know, that she is now and uh, kind of, you know, probably the closest thing we have to a saint on earth um, is Dolly. Um, you know, and then and then some of the, you know, you, you have a lot of um, a lot of new female artists emerge. And it seems like to me, as I was kind of studying up on them and, um, you know, I, I recall, you know, listening to some of them with my mom kind of like sort of kind of like two camps kind of emerge, guys. I, I don't know if so, you sort of have your. You're kind of your singer camp with like Reba, Pam Tillis, Patty Loveless. Um, what's her name? Is it Janie Fricky? I think Janie Fricky. Yeah. yeah. And then you kind of got more of your. They're kind of more rooted in folk and bluegrass, you know, with um, with like Mary Chapin Carpenter, um, Susie Boggess, Kathy Matea. A lot of a lot of them probably influenced influenced by somebody like Amy Lou Harris is my guess. Right. You know. Kind of more singer songwriter. Um, yeah, yeah, more singer songwriter, and probably you know, you know, music is. I'll just be honest; it's better, you know, than some of the other, you know, Reba and it, you know, that their stuff holds up much better. And yeah, you listen to sure. it, and they and they kind of got. I want to say, like as 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 the nineties wore on, they kind of they kind of got sort of as as they fell out of favor with kind of the pop country Nashville crowd. They kind of they got kind of street cred with the Americana, you know, movement, and I think all those, you know. Mary Chapin, Susie Boggess, Kathy Mattei, all of them are really well well respected, I would say, um, now. But yeah, those are kind of the two two interesting kind of um, camps that emerged among a well, lot of, fe- I among, think among of female the, stars of the this. Yeah, era. I think part of that was due to the record labels. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You basically kind of, if you were female, you kind of had to fit into one of those two camps yeah. to get supported, which is sad. But it is, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I really, really think Mary Chapin is uh, a great songwriter. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and she Absolutely. seems just like a cool person, too. I'd love to hang out with her. She's um, been doing little, like, quarantine concerts from her house on YouTube. I've watched oh, yeah. a couple of them. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. Uh, 
You didn't mention Tanya Tucker, though. Oh, right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got to. Yeah, you definitely got to mention her for sure. Yeah, yeah. I I, I mean, that voice, that that voice is just. Yeah. Syrupy for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I uh, I really like Kathy Matea as well. I think uh, I I think her stuff holds up really nicely. I don't know if um, if you guys. um, No, yeah, she was one of those artists that had a really tough time coming out of her 80s success. Yeah, right. Transition it into 90s. Yeah. Success, which is sad. But I think that part of it was due to the fact that it kind of became less about the songs and the craft and more about how do you look in music videos and stuff once the 90s came along you know mm-hmm. is she the one that did um yeah right um i i've talked about him on the podcast before i'm a huge john martin fan and um she did that really good cover in the mid 90s with john martin of may you never i don't know if you guys check it out it's it's inferior to the original but but still a still really 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 pleasant sounding um and then also, you know, you've got your duos that emerged during this period, uh, as well as kind of your your mega groups. Um, and really the mega group with the most success and probably, gosh, I don't know, I have to look at the tally, but probably next to Garth, probably the most commercial success would be alabama i mean oh yeah they dominated over, they dominated 40 the decade. number one hits yeah yeah well, if we're I'm, talking uh, 80s if we're talking 80s alabama for sure absolutely if we're talking early 90s i think it's it's brooks and dunn brooks and dunn yeah. brooks and dunn yeah. brooks and dunn offers an interesting bookend to what we're talking about in terms of boot scoot and boogie yeah which launched the massive phenomenon that was line dancing mm-hmm. and took things over back in the early 90s again all over this country and kind of brought us back to urban cowboy in a weird way yeah, yeah right sure. i remember yeah. in the afternoons on tnn there was a show called like live from the wild yeah. horse saloon <laughs> right and it right. was literally like an hour of just people line dancing mm-hmm. yeah i mean i would i would my mom would drag me to line dancing in like 93, 94 and I would see people there and I'm like, you, you're one of the pod people. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. Alabama, they ruled the eighties for sure. They were one of those groups that by the time the nineties had rolled around, they had been at it for like 11, 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, they kind of, went into basically a retirement after the yeah, early part doing of like cheap seats and like that yeah yeah thing, you know like kind of a parody of themselves in a way yeah they were honestly one of the first country groups to like get popular i mean there had been like the oak ridge boys yeah, yeah. Some stuff even in the 70s the statler brothers but no one was as big as alabama and part part of that i think was due to the fact that they realized their audience likes rock and roll, but they also like country. Right. And so they like kind of paired the Southern rock country thing together and sold millions and millions. It was and millions gold. Of yeah. You yeah. reach, you reach the Reba fans and the Skinner fans, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and Alabama has some great pop stuff, but they like do. they're kind of up there with like Charlie Daniels where it's like, it doesn't age very well, man. Like I just no, don't support no. it anymore because it just, 
it's a lot of the South will rise again shit that like yeah. Just, uh, yeah. It's right on that line. Of if, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> if they've got some, they've got some regrettable album covers. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. right Confederate Railroad of like, look, I love the song "Trashy Woman." I like my women on the trashy side, but if your yeah. name of your band is Confederate Railroad, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, they they definitely set the mold for the group. You know, like like Sawyer Brown would come after them, and Diamond Rio, and um, you know, I, I and Diamond Rio. They what's couple, that? Diamond Rio had some great pop songs. Yeah. Little Texas, you know, is another one. Uh, yeah. In that, um, you know, Levi, you had brought up in in some of the notes here. I want to touch on it. Um, uh, the rise of Curb Records during this period. And I think it's a lot of, you know, it might be a name that if you follow country music, you know, but if you don't, what um, can I, I mean, like what's Curb's story, you know, of uh, of the decade? Well, they kind of were, were a small label that honestly not, you know, too many people knew about. And uh-huh. then with the rise of country music, it just became, you know, I mean, they, uh, I'm trying to pull up the list of all the people that they ended up signing and stuff. It's just crazy. They, the, one of their first acts they had was the Bellamy brothers, which, yeah, two old hippies that somehow managed to have a country music career, which is amazing. I just, they also have their own strain of weed now too. No, I was going to say, yeah, (laughs) if you follow them on Instagram, they're all about the ganj, man. (laughs) And so, uh, that's interesting, but yeah, so Curb started buying up back catalogs of country music and like some pop artists and releasing greatest hits of all of them. And then, so that got them enough revenue to where they just started to take over. They, they had Hank Williams Jr. They had TG Shepard. They had the Judds. They had Sawyer Brown. They had Conway Twitty. Oh, they man. had Lyle Lovett. They had the Desert Rose Band, which was mm-hmm. former Birds and Burrito Brothers members that turned country. Yeah. And then Hal Ketchum, Wynonna, Delbert McClinton, Tim McGraw, Junior Brown. Curb became like this mega monopoly almost of country music artists mm-hmm. to where they were, they were, I mean, I'm not going to say controlling the scene, but they were, they had a hand in controlling the music scene of country in the late 80s and early 90s. Big slice of the market, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, the Judds is a fucking super group that we haven't discussed. I mean, they're, yeah. they're amazing. Yeah. Oh There's, yeah. I was I was rocking several of their songs today. Yeah, yeah their music holds up for sure. They really well written songs. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of crazy that it, when you look, they weren't together honestly that long. Mm-hmm. Like it, I don't even know if they were together. Uh, Winona had 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 her her solo career going pretty strong by the by the early nineties. Right? Yeah, I mean, it was just a handful of records together before they split off. And yeah, yeah. So, so they um they won the uh, ACM Top Vocal Duo every year from eighty four to ninety. There you go. There's the bridge. Good between, run, man. It's like Sandy that's, Koufax run there. That's the, <laughs> that's the bridge between early eighties and there you uh, go. Earth. Yeah. Yep, there you go. Yeah, they were huge. I remember they, you know, before Garth had TV specials, the Judds had TV specials. I remember seeing. Right, right. Um, 
you know, a, a guy that I and I don't know. I know Levi. I mean, I know you're familiar with him and, and Tom. I, I don't know. Um, I, I should have mentioned him during the uh, the neo traditionalist um, portion of the show. But a guy that um, my mom would play him in the car when I was growing up and I was just like, you know, didn't pay any attention to it um, as I was turned off by most of this music that we're talking about um, kind of came to me later. Um, but it's interesting because I've heard him mentioned as sort of, you know, his career really rising around the same time as Garth Brooks. And if he hadn't died there's speculation that maybe he would have become as big of a star. And I'm talking about Keith Whitley. Mm-hmm. Um, his tunes really hold up well, in my opinion. Um, and oh, yeah. I'm no stranger to the rain is probably, you know, if, if, if I've got to pick, you know, songs and singles from, uh, from this era tonight, that that's up there for me. That's a, oh, that's just, yeah. that's just a gorgeous song. For me, it's, it's, it's possibly in my top 10 songs ever, ever. Mm. I mean, such a great, strong voice, too. That that guy could sing, you know, growing up. There's a a reason Garth put him in the music video for the dance. Yeah. Um, What could have been, you know, the James Dean effect of what could have been with Keith Whitley. Uh, Yeah, because, I mean, I, you know, till Garth came along right there, like the record companies were really trying to push Keith Whitley. Yeah. You know, he was going to get the money and he was going to yep. get the backing and it, you know, his, his addiction to alcohol, it all just fell apart. And, um, and who knows would Keith have uh, stayed a traditionalist, you know, yeah. On yeah, his know. would he have evolved into something weird and esoteric and strange? What are you going back to like his bluegrass roots? Cause right? he, was, yeah. he, was, he was a bluegrass player in the seventies. Yeah. He was, he was in the band so with Ricky Scans. That voice was so powerful. And and we try we tend to subscribe things later after the fact to you know it's, it's, like I said this is James Dean effect like oh my god like we only got a sample size of a couple things yeah uh, it, what a genius you know like we, we didn't get a chance to be disappointed by an album you know? sure but we also didn't get a chance to see him fully bloom into something amazing mm-hmm. you know because yeah. let's say Garth Brooks dies after his first album. We'd be talking about him probably similarly of like, oh, a traditionalist that maybe could have done something. And then in the sophomore album did say, you know what, I'm going to do it. You know, and then on the third album, raise the ante. And then by the fourth or fifth album, be like, you know what, I want to own all my shit. And to this day, you can't stream it on your Spotify because I want to own it that much. That's how much I want to own. Oh, my yeah. shit. He, he was he was <laughs> smart with all that. He's the reason that at the Capitol Records pressing plant in Jacksonville, every year they used to have a parking lot sale where you could buy promo cutout copies of CDs and LPs for like next to nothing, like Beatles picture discs and Mm -hmm. just different stuff like that. And the reason supposedly they had to stop that was because Garth Brooks said he didn't want anybody buying his records at discount. (laughs) And so... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they they stopped doing the Capitol parking lot sale like in the early '90s. Well, and that I mean, he doesn't want anyone doing. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he turned on the Spotify money because he wants the record for most albums ever because he's close to it. Oh yeah. wow! So most like most physical units. Yes. Wow. Which I don't know. Does 
you know, I don't know. That that part kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. You know, yeah. like, yeah, all That's right. Of it. I agree. Yeah. But if you were born in 1962, <laughs> Gabe, how would you feel? Yeah. Right. Yeah, he was from the era where record sales are what mattered. Sure. You know what yeah. I mean? He yeah. was going up against, you know, Mike, you know, MJ or Paul. close and... to having the record against the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I can't fault him, really. Yeah, if you're that close. I mean, here's a guy who got a scholarship to go to the University of Oklahoma State as a javelin, like a thrower, I think. He was like, it was some sort of track and field star. Right. He had like yeah. a scholarship for it. Uh, com- competition's in his bones, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you never lose that joss- jock aspect of your life, you know? Like, <laughs> dude wants to be number one on something, and what can he point to? Record sales. Oh. He's he's a fan of the hottest band in the land, and so am I. So I'll uh, <laughs> I'll give the old boy that. Well, I want to. I want to. You know, we've been going for a while here. I want to talk to Getz because he hasn't. Uh, yes, I want to hear. So much- yeah, what did you like about like what did you hear Getz that you liked? Let me uh, let me ask you that. In yeah, preparing for the podcast, nineties, and and where he is now on this. So um, uh, let me preface this with um, how I listen to music, and, and I, I listen to music all day long. Um, I'm fortunate I can do that. Um, however, uh, sometimes I, I, I recognize um, that what music does to the brain and how like I need my brain to do certain things during the day and it can't be distracted by the music. So to uh, to, to paraphrase John Cusack's character from High Fidelity, just play something I can ignore is a common <laughs> a common refrain. Um, <laughs> and uh and, and so, Gabe, you, you were uh, uh, very gracious to create uh, the Tracy Lee Getz playlist <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> and um, uh, some of it I, I, I genuinely enjoyed and successfully um, not ignored, but I, you know, I, I listened to the record and, and, you know, I made it through. Some sure. of them I didn't make it through. Um, and, yeah. and that happens. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to talk about, about those. Um, but, uh, you know, like, like the aforementioned John Anderson, I, I really enjoyed, um, uh, the Keith Whitley stuff, uh, as well. Um, uh, you know, in with, with Marty Stewart and you, you hit a certain production value with it that, that I, I appreciate. And, and I thought that, um, was very well executed and, uh, you know, what they were trying to accomplish, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I got it and, um, and I appreciated that the Kentucky headhunters was really the, the thing that took me by surprise the most, because <laughs> at some point I was like, this, this is kind of proggy. <laughs> 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 that last tune on the record, right? Uh, is I that think, uh, the "My Daddy Was a Milkman"? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so. Oh, that one really that made that one made me stop what I was doing and be like, "Whoa!" I rewound it and listened to it again, um, so that I didn't ignore it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that you know, I I I really saw the value in in a lot of it, um, even though it's not necessarily stuff that I'll like go back to on a regular sure. basis. Um, but then other other stuff, the production was, was a little too distracting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, um, 
I realize that's kind of a, a, a vague answer, but um, uh, I, I think that 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 pretty much covers my my thoughts on it. Yeah, I um, you know did what I was Garth, did Garth ruin country music? <laughs> well, I, I I couldn't stream them, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, gets not curious enough to buy his music, but um, <laughs> do, do we want to try to pin this down? What did ruin country music? <sighs> music videos. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would yeah, say I don't know. I would There's say some fun videos. Right, like and... right after like Clint Black and Tim McGraw came, this whole wave of like. Toby Keith and Kenny Chesney's and uh, I don't know for a lack of a better term it became diluted I think I mean the Luke extent. Bryant's and those Luke Bryan and those fuckers that we got to say we can thank Kenny Chesney for them I think right um yeah. so I'll, I'll I'll pin it on I'll pin it on Kenny he seems like a nice enough guy but his music sucks so I'll uh, I'll I, I I mean I mean yeah. just I mean, to what me. are we going to say? Like, what's the quick dismissal term? Poser? He's a poser, right? I guess. Yeah. I don't know. We, yeah. I mean, if you had to pin it on him, yeah, I would say it was, you know, he turned, he tried, I think he tried to come in to be kind of traditional, but then it turned into like, all of his songs are about like beaches and shit like that. And it, oh, he's, he's like, like the Gulf Shores like country guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. To me, that's not country music, but yeah. It's even less. I, I just don't like the way. I mean, this is kind of a generic way to put it. I just don't like the way it sounds. You know, like I can, I can just, hear a lot of those people I mentioned earlier, sure. and I, even though it's slick production, I, I still like it. And with him, no, it's overproduced between the like faux uh, party shit yeah. and the fake fucking patriotic chest beating. Boot on your fucking neck. Yeah, those, they're doing some pandering. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. I mean, you, gross. There's, there's literally like a, a time where I mean, they literally just, kicked the Dixie Chicks out of like right. music. Like, like yeah, how dare women yeah. try to have thoughts about things? Right? <laughs> yeah. And then the songs all became about you know your truck and uh, you know or what hanging with your boys and yeah, well, like just solo cups who are all who are all named like Braden and I shit. Mean, I, I, yeah. feel like that, I feel like that's a valuable conversation. Like what they did to the Dixie Chicks post nine eleven, uh, them daring to stand against uh, you know at the, the time the President Bush. They they booted their asses out of the fucking the whole thing. Totally blackballed, yeah. yeah. And and everyone else had to fall in line. And then like all the Toby Keiths were like, yeah, let's double down and fucking like oh, kill yeah. every fucking non-American. Like, well, and even even Alan Jackson. Like, fuck you, we, Toby Keith, you piece of shit. You know, I liked some <laughs> of Alan Jackson's first singles, but like even he bought into all that, and you know. Yeah. Where were you when the world stopped turning? Well, I'll say this yeah. about Alan. I, Alan Jackson at least is saying a song of like, where were you in the present moment? It, it wasn't like, let's go kick some fucking foreigners' yeah. ass. It was you more know? like a... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. At least it was somewhat like... Introspective. We haven't talked about Alan yeah. Jackson. And if we're going to talk about music videos, let's go back to Chattahoochee. Chattahoochee. 
his record label did not want him to do this, this, this music video or the song. They were like, this is an idiotic song. You're you're goofing off on bullshit about like <laughs> uh, snow cones, <laughs> which is one of the great lines of all time. It is. It is. In a grape snow cone. My God. Yeah. <laughs> Dropped her off early, but I didn't go home. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's tubing. He's tubing in like swim trunks and cowboy boots and his hat. That's all Alan Jackson's idea of. I'm gonna put my ripped up jeans on. I know how to water ski. I'll put some boots on and fucking water ski on it. Shoot me doing this thing. Genius. The yeah. record label was like, this is stupid corn pone on the nose bullshit. No one, and it's the thing he was remembered for 30 years from now. Oh, yeah. If you don't think that song and video are, are, are fun, then I don't know. You know, the record label you have a pulse. cut it. They wanted him to cut that shit, dude. Yeah. Well, it shows you how much the suits know, I guess. You can see the joy. I mean, no other music video with Alan Jackson that has the joy, the bliss coming out of his fucking face. He can't even mask it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's trying to, like, look away from the camera because he's just, like, giddy. <laughs> like, yeah. I get to, like, just go water ski on the Chattahoochee and, like, get drunk with my friends with my cowboy shirt on and, like, whatever. We dance around. And that's what country music is about, man. The little things of like being on the river, doing stuff like that with friends, man, pushing the envelope of your physicality. And, you know, it's just that's what it's about, man. That's what it's about. And uh, I love that video. And I love that the, the, the music industry did not want him to do it. They did not want him to do that video. And he pushed for it. And that's what he's known for. Yeah, for sure. Well, guys, sometimes you just got to water ski with cowboy boots on, you know, um, that's that's a, that's a good spot to end this on, I think. Um, so I want to thank Tom for hanging out with us tonight. Tom, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I hope you come back and do it again sometime soon. Um, yeah. And I, I think we, we covered a lot of good ground tonight. Um, I, I think the only thing I didn't get to mention was uh, the the saxophone in Oak Ridge Boys songs. To me, I think, I think, I think the, the arrival of the saxophone really marks some change as well. You know, I, I mean, Levi, did you hear a lot of sax in seventies country? I didn't No, No, for sure. Yeah. It, it definitely got introduced in the eighties and, you know, Bobby Sue. But anyway, I want to remind everybody you can, uh, Tap into the archives at Rock In Chew. That's in is in No Stranger to the Rain. I knew Jonathan would like Keith Whitley. I, I put that one in there. I mean, granted, I, I love the guy, but I, I figured you would like that one, Gets. Oh, yeah. The Keith. I'm going back yeah. to Keith Whitley. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, check it out. RockInChew.com. No, it's just RockChew.com. No, it is just RockChew. Shit. Yeah. All right. Follow yeah. us um, on the Instagram and the Twitter. Shows you how much... Shows you how much I'm paying attention to those things. Um, um, follow us on the Instagram and the Twitter at Rock and Chew. The website is just Rock Chew, no end. Okay, I'm not going to register RockandChew.com and having it redirect to RockandChew.com. It's <laughs> not going to happen. So scratch that. Have to clean that up in post production. But anyway, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, anyway. Um, 
it was yeah it was good hanging out guys um don't be in a hurry to get things done you know if you if you catch what i did there don't work so much that life's no fun <laughs> i'm in a hurry and i don't know why guys but anyway um, <laughs> you're going to be speaking in country couplets all week long aren't you yeah I, I am all right well and on that note good night, good night everybody